I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 193 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prosser, and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. This week, we're talking about great mid-engine performance cars um, for good reason, because we had a display of great mid-engine performance cars at yesterday's uh, Bista Heritage Sunday Scramble. Now, before we get started, I will just remind you all to rate and review the podcast. It really helps. And of course, we want a good review and a good rating. Um, and while you're doing it, just hit the little follow button or the subscribe button. Um, it helps us, essentially, it helps us find new listeners. So please keep doing that and enjoy the episode. We had a fun day yesterday, Andrew. We're at Bista Heritage for the latest Sunday Scramble. Um, we had amazingly, a cold day yesterday. <laughs> very cold day. But they've still never had a wet one. So this is, the, what was it, the 7th of January um, in the UK. And actually, it was, it was cold, but it was a dry day. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't describe myself frankly, in any way at all as a religious person. But if one were, or if one believed <laughs> in some kind of divine being, um, you might think that he, she, or it had looked upon the Sunday Scramble as basically being a good thing to do, a good event, yeah. a, an event yes. which basically everybody who's got anything to do with it benefits from. And so, yeah, it, it's almost as if some superior beings decided that is one particular parade it's not going to rain upon. Um, and it never has. Didn't uh, mean it was. Yeah, you and I basically stood um, by the cars that we had there for six hours, mm. um, and I, I got so cold. You, it, it'd be just—it's a kind of cold that you can't—you can't get rid of just by you know going somewhere warm. I sat in a car for two hours with the bum warmers on, the heater up full, but you know all the way home. I still then had to go and sit in the hot bath for a bit before I kind of kind of felt myself again, but. Wow, it was worth it, wasn't it? What a great event, what a great day. And uh, it was so gratifying to the, see that you know, the hundreds of people who came up to us to look at our cars, have a chat with us, to, you know, being kind enough to tell us that they enjoy what we do. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a fantastic day out, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. So thanks to everyone who came and said hello. We do appreciate it. Um, and yeah, they are fantastic events, the Scrambles. The next ones in spring will be there. And of course, having spoken about there never being a wet one, we have now jinxed it. And the the spring scramble is going to yeah. be a washout, isn't it? Bring but, your <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we were there with a lineup of five cars, five mid-engined cars. Yes. Um, we had, it was a great lineup, I thought. So just running through them in order, we had um, the Porsche 718 Spider RS, a brand new car from Porsche, mid-engined, of yeah. course. Yeah, I mean, I um, so many people said to me, that's the first time that they'd seen it. They didn't know that they were mm-hmm. over here or anything. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think for many people, it was the first opportunity to, to see one certainly you know, in, in the UK in, in right hand drive, absolutely, yeah. Um, and then, uh, as a bit of a contrast, we had a BMW M1 parked right next to it. Um, <laughs> I mean, what have they got in common? They're German mid engine two seaters, it's probably about it, isn't it? Uh, six yeah, cylinders. Uh, six cylinder engines, <laughs> aspirated manual rear drive, yeah. Um, but yeah, 
Yeah, not an awful lot, but no. I mean, it's just it's just great because it's one of the things that I love about TI is that we can is is that we don't have to think well we're you know we're we we're, we're a modern car business or an old car business you know we're just a great car business aren't we we just love great yeah. cars whenever they came from wherever they came from um, and you know having you know we had an age span of you know of forty years um, and that mm. was frankly only because we decided to restrict it to mid-engine cars so um, mm. yeah and that M1 wow wow I mean. It's just come out of an enormous restoration. It's the first time it's been seen in public since. Um, gee, I mean, they're just fabulous things. Yeah. So it's, rare. It's so, so pretty. Special. Yeah. And the yeah. wheels, the Campanella wheels, are just so gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and that was parked alongside an Aston Martin Valkyrie. Um, nothing if not a broad church here, even within the sort of one genre, mid-engine two-seaters. I mean, the variety in those three is pretty extraordinary. Um, yeah. The Valk, though, it was our—I call it our flame—because the moths were just drawn to it all day long. It was unbelievable. I mean, there were there were times. In fact, there were lots of times. I was I was sending um, the bloke at Aston Martin who um, who helps us out um, getting. I was sending him pictures of just people because I said I'm trying to send you a picture of the car, but you can't actually see it mm. um, because there mm. were just so many people. You know what I love most about it um, was the little kids because people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great event for people to bring their kids to and the number of you know i don't know seven-year-olds who were just peering through and i it was me it was me sitting mm. on my backside at maranello concessionaires in 1973 uh looking at the first ferrari burnett boxer into the country i was i was just i mean i found it quite moving really because um to see them looking in the window of a valkyrie and i just i kind of knew exactly what was going through their minds it's exactly what was going through my mind bloody hell you know half a century ago and it was mm. it was it was fantastic, and and as you say, I mean, we had some amazing cars there, but I mean the Valkyrie was just, I mean, if, if when it left because the, the event shut up at uh, sort of just after two o'clock, and it had to disappear back onto the truck in which it came, it was like the Pied Piper. I don't know if you saw it, but mm. there were when yeah. it left, there were I people video. running after it, and if mm. it had driven off a cliff, they'd have all followed. Mm. Mm. It was great. It, it was great, and without Bister and without Aston Martin's help there. All those kids and all those grown-up kids might never have seen an Aston Martin Valkyrie, and of course there was exactly. another one just down the road. But ah, it's cool, isn't it? And let alone, I mean, extraordinary they, cars. They, they would have seen them on photographs, they've seen them on YouTube. They might have seen them on a stand somewhere. But to be able to literally—I mean, there are no barriers around it—literally no. get up and stick your nose against the window, which, mm. when you're seven years old, is what you want to do. Oh, it was great. It was great. Sorry, mm. I'm digressing. <laughs> Well, and next to that, we had your McLaren Artura, your long-term. Yeah, in, in inverted commas, yeah. Yes. But, uh, yes. Which we um, have spoken about quite recently, haven't we? Um, but it's, uh, yeah, that is the first time I've seen it in person. It's a very pretty thing. Yeah, um, very pretty. What do you think of the colour? Yeah, I like the colour. I like the yeah. colour. It's not too punchy. It's a good, bold colour, but it's not a sort of they, they, bright, they do, blow your eyeballs orange. They do four orange. oranges, and it's the darkest. They call it ember yeah. orange. Mm, uh, it's a sort of burnt darkest, orange. Because there's, um, oh, what do they call it? There's another orange they do. It's the traditional McLaren orange called papaya, isn't it? Um, And it's not that. And I mean, Mm. to me, certainly as someone who doesn't necessarily want to draw an enormous amount of attention to themselves, um, all the better for it. Yeah, it Mm. was great. I sort of got in it at five in the morning because we had to have it there and clean on standby by eight. And um, yeah, I just sort of wafted out through the village in silence. Didn't wake anybody up. Got on the open Mm. road. Gave it hell. It was great. You seem to be enjoying it. and that was next to our um, the third co-founder of the Intercool, who you don't hear about very often, um, but he brought one of his cars along. Very special car, one of only, yeah. he thinks, four or five in the country. Yeah. Um, I'm a Honda NSXR. Yeah. yeah. Honda, Honda NSXR, a first-gen one with the pop-up headlamps, which got yes. about as much attention as anything else. Yeah, and I mean, it's, so, um, it's such a discreet car, um, given how, frankly, different mm-hmm. it is to a standard nsx i mean you know i think most people saw it and just thought that's a nice nsx there's only if you start mm. sort of um well i mean that was uh on non-oem wheels uh because nsxr wheels are very rare and precious and uh i mean the yeah, owner does have them but um hasn't got them on the car i think there are issues with tire sizes as well aren't there yeah, yeah. i think there are i think there are getting mm. just getting rather for it um but um yeah unless you looked at the nsx badge and saw a little hyphen r you wouldn't know that this mm. was a you know, the lightweight, very rare, very special. I can remember driving one of those um, <laughs> at a test track, I think called Tochigi in Japan. 
Yeah. It was one of those vast tracks they have, which they basically have two straights and a couple of banked corners at the end of it. Um, and and the, I think the mistake they made was that they had a speed trap at the end of the straight and a big sign flashed up telling you how fast you're getting. As you came, <laughs> no, no, it wasn't at the end of the it was, it was It was at the end of the banking. <laughs> Telling you yeah, how oh fast you're coming off the banking, um, and I was coming off the banking at 170 something, and eventually they they got me in and told me to stop doing that. But mm. I mean, come on, I mean, well, they're asking for it, putting temptation in my way. You're going to put a bloody mm. great speed sign up there and a load of journalists. Of course, you don't want to be the the journalist who comes away no. with the second highest speed. So anyway, <laughs> what a great car, what a great event, what a great lineup. Yeah, so we five really cool cars. I thought and. I mean, it's inspired the theme for this week's podcast, hasn't it? We're going to discuss the greatest mid-engine cars from the great car-producing nations. And it occurred to me that at least one of those is probably an example of exactly that, the greatest mid-engine car from that country. We'll come to it. Now, I I just want to clarify a little bit. We talk about the great car-producing nations, and we all sort of have a sense of what that means. Um, But, I mean, if we're going to be objective about it for just a moment, I've got a list of... Um, the biggest car producing countries here, right? Strictly the biggest. And it goes China, US, Japan, India, South Korea, Germany, Mexico, Brazil, right? That's not what we're talking about, are we? We're not talking about India and South Korea and and the rest of it because, well, obvious reasons. Um, So instead we're talking... Not not a great proliferation of um, indigenous mid-engine cars for those countries. No. So we're talking traditionally the producers of great performance cars. We all know what they are. So let's not get derailed too much by that point um but before we get started we do do just sort of need to discuss mid-engine cars generally and what we mean by mid-engine cars because we could be pedantic about this if we wanted to um and i also want to talk about the sort of advantages of the mid-engine configuration um first of all what what do we mean by mid-engine because you can put the engine right behind the front axle line in a car but in front of the cabin and call it mid-engined I think technically speaking, a mid-engine car, well, I mean, it's a fairly loose term, isn't it? But it's any, any engine whose, sorry, any car whose engine exists entirely within the wheelbase of the car. Mm, mm. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. Now. What we're talking about now is engines that are entirely within the wheelbase of the car, but at the same time behind the driver. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's so what people think of, really. Bumper, but that's what people, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Why? Why mid-engine? Why put the engine there? What's the advantage? Are there any drawbacks? Well, I mean, mid-engine cars, I mean, they've they've actually been, you know, in racing, they've been um, around forever. I mean, you know, the auto unions of the 1930s mm. were, were mid-engine mm. cars. Um, and yet they, they, they kind of forgot about it, and then they started popping back into... Formula One in the late 1950s. I mean, you know, they were racing, you know, all those uh, amazing little 500cc things that guys like Sterling Moss made his name in. Um, in what was then Formula Three in the late 40s and early 50s, they were all mid-engine. Uh, what are the advantages? I mean, well, I mean, people talk about low polar moments of inertia, mm. uh, but basically, if you concentrate all the masses in the centre. Um, of a car, it's going to be more agile. And I think if you think about, if you had a sort of, I don't know, a length of broom handle and you had two weights on either end um, and you threw it, it would be quite cumbersome. Um, but if you put those weights in the middle, um, the effect of having that mass in one place right in the middle is is lessened. Um, so it becomes more agile. Uh, at the same time, you know, there's always, isn't there, that trade-off between agility and stability. Um, and therefore you get one of the sort of traditional uh, alleged disadvantages of mid-engine cars, which is that they can be tricky on the limit, and some of them are. I would say, generally speaking, mid-engine cars, um, although much tamed these days, are trickier on the limit for exactly those reasons. Um, They allow a a much smaller frontal area. It means you have much less weight um, on the nose. Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of pure speed, uh, mid-engine cars transformed the face of racing. You know, the moment that Cooper started winning world championships with mid-engine cars, I mean, the first one they won was in 1959, the next one in 1960. Um, and then Ferrari, very, as ever, late to the 
participates in the party, I thought, oh, we better do one. And every single Formula One World Championship has been won by Medellin Car ever since. And it's one of those completely transformational technologies that comes along once in a while. Um, and, and, and actually, I think a lot of it is that. I think a lot of the reason cars are Medellin today are you know, partly for sound engineering reasons, but partly I think it's because that's what Formula One cars are like. Um, and I think mm. part of it is a sort of marketing thing. And I think there is a kind of like a cool kudos that comes from having the same powertrain configuration as, you know, as the world's fastest racing cars. Um, mm. So I think, I, think, I think there's a lot of that in it. I mean, disadvantages, I mean, packaging, it's very difficult, not impossible. I mean, it has been done, but it's very difficult to create a car which will seat four people and an engine within the yeah. wheelbase. Um, you know, you either have a very, very cramped rear or a very, very long wheelbase, usually both. Um, it kind of means you kind of split your luggage. Um, so, you know, if you're lucky, there's a bit in the front, a bit in the back. It's not very practical. Um, getting at it, maintenance is obviously more difficult. I mean, there are reasons not um, not to do it. Um, but if what you are looking for is, you know, dynamic response, um and I guess looking cool because mid-engine cars do look quite cool because they don't need to have, you know, big noses and radiators and that sort of thing up there. Um, then, yeah, they are. They have been for many, many years um, the way forward. Mm. Got a quick tangent. Why yeah. did it take Grand Prix cars so long to put the engine in the middle? Because as you say, it had been done by the auto, auto unions before the war. Yeah, which, which were Grand Prix it cars. Was, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, so it so let's say it was done by Auto Union before the war, um, and then the war came along. And let's say let's give them you know a sort of ten year period from thirty nine to forty nine. You know, we give that over to you know sorting themselves out um, after. But it still took another ten years, didn't it? Mm. But as you and, said, it was you know, being done in the smaller categories. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, mm. you know. Someone like David Tuig would know. Um, maybe Karun would know. Um, but it it just seems bizarre. I mean, maybe uh, you had you know a lot of manufacturers in that time were using proprietary parts, and maybe they didn't fit, or maybe the engineering of it was considered to be too difficult. Um, but I don't have a good answer to that question. I'm afraid, and I mm. should, but I don't. But certainly, no. the moment someone, and maybe it was just the fact that nobody was doing it, so nobody felt the need to do it. But that's well, that's stupid because it's Formula One. Because if you thought there was an advantage, you'd take it, wouldn't you? I don't know. Mm. Sorry. Mm. Strange, isn't it? Really strange. Mm. Um, but okay, let's get on to the individual nations then. And I, it would be great to be decisive about this and try and come away with one car for each of the the countries that we're going to discuss. Um, some of them, it's actually quite difficult to draw up a shortlist because there just aren't that many. Uh, others, the the shortlist could be n not a shortlist at all. It could be a long list. So um, let, let's get started with Japan, right? And okay. I, I want to I want to start with Japan because I suspect the car that we had on display yesterday. I mean, it's certainly on the shortlist, but it might even be the winner, mightn't it? The Honda NSXR of Japan, Japan's mm. best engine car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's that, or it's the original MR2. That's all, that's those are the two I've got as well. Yeah, I mean, the harmony, MR, I mean, I can remember driving those in the late eighties, and what was so clever, and actually the second generation car threw this out the window. What was so clever about those original MR twos is they handled beautifully. Mm. You know, this was back in the era when you know mid engine car. You look at the Ferraris that were coming out at the time, things like three hundred eights and three two eights. Um, and boxers and Tesla, these are tricky cars, really tricky. I mean, cars that you drove within their limits because once they started to go, they tended to stay gone. Mm. And along came this little Toyota, which you could just hoof about all over the place. It was just terrific. It was so reassuring and so nimble and agile and fun, but not scary. And then, the, and then the second one came along and, you know, decided that it was just going to go back to being what mid-engine cars have traditionally been, which is a really difficult to drive. And I never understood why. So, I mean, mm. I, I think, yeah, the NSXR probably is the one, but with a, a, a massively honourable mention to the original MR2, which was, yeah. you know, it, it, it was the car that showed us um, 
because even the things that you know mid, affordable mid-engine cars that have come before and there weren't many i'm thinking spirit x19 and i'm now starting to struggle um even those were only fun up to a point um so yeah i think the mr2 <laughs> is an absolutely fantastic candidate so Okay, but uh, I think we're going to declare the NSXR the champion for Japan here. Um, I have driven mm -hmm. one. I, I drove the one that we had on the stand yesterday, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, it is a gorgeous thing. It is a gorgeous thing. Once you're up and running on the road, steering is unassisted, isn't it? So it's yeah. hard work at low speed. But once you're moving, yeah. it's so detailed. Have you ever driven you... an NSX with, with power-assisted steering? No. It was one of the very first E-Pass systems. Oh. Which they, which they had on the automatic cars because they, Honda basically, when they made the automatic NSX, they decided that they were going to ruin it. So they mm. detuned the engine, fitted the world's worst automatic gearbox, softened it off, um, and put electric power steering on it. And if you ever want to, <laughs> if you ever want to drive a car which is just absolutely not as it makers intended to be, drive an automatic NSX. Sorry, I've digressed again. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, we're supposed I, to be talking I, about good mid engine cars. Yeah, good, good men engine car. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. So the NSXR, or, or or if you want something slightly less eclectic, um, a late three point two NSX, one with the sort of bubble headlights. They were mm. fabulous things. Mm. I mean, just... I su I suspect you, you're getting most of the the charm and the fun of an R in a good standard one, aren't you? But it's always the way, isn't it, with those things? You know, if you drive a, I don't know a G-Series 911, and then you drive a Club Sport. I mean, a Club Sport is better in every way, but it's not transformational. It's not absolutely no. night and day. Um, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's the same sort of thing. Um, I presume you didn't think very hard about having the, I was about to say current NSX, but it's not current anymore because they they canned it, but um, the sort of, the, the more recent no. NSX. No. Doesn't even, doesn't even get no. on the score sheet, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, it is. It's phenomenally fast. That car. I remember thinking it is outrageously quick down a road. It but it's nothing for me at all. It absolutely. No. I mean, really, given where it came from, given the level of expectation, given the name that it had, it's right up there with the most. Actually, among the most disappointing cars I've ever driven, and I never yeah, understood I, I, why. Why anybody was raved. Some people raved about it. Some people went, "Oh well, yeah, it's really pretty good." Oh, I just got. I just thought. You know, if you think about what McLaren and Porsche, would, um, well, and Ferrari particularly, were, 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 were producing, I mean, it just got didn't get anywhere near. And you think about it's got the same badge as the NSXR, NSX. They're both NSXs, but they're they're totally diametrically opposed in terms of how you go about driving them. So the the modern one, you're such a small component in making it go quickly, such a small yeah. component. In the older car, it's the exact opposite. I remember driving yeah. that older car, and well, first of all, the, the visibility is outrageously good. You can, yeah. I remember thinking, I'm watching the stones in the road, the individual stones in the road rush underneath the front tires. It, that's the sense you get. So you, you position it with confidence. The steering is so sweet, so connected. Mm -hmm. Great manual gear shift. That V6 is a honey as well. It's just, it's just so much fun to drive, properly involving. Yeah, I mean... They could get big on you. I, I, I won't oh, name sure. names, although he's not—he's not—he's not in the business anymore. But I can remember um, standing at the edge of a corner when we do cornering shots. I'm not saying this to you because you know this, but for the benefit of the audience, uh, we particularly if the corner isn't completely clear, we have spotters. Um, so one person does the skid through the corner, and, and another person is standing there on the radio saying, "Coast is clear, you can cut." And I can remember standing there on a the corner watching one of my more junior road testers trying to hoof this NSX through a corner. Um, and the, the car ended up some distance into a field. <laughs> Far enough to have to go and get a, a farmer and a tractor. I mean, amazing. Yeah. It came out and we sort of, you know, washed the mud off and carried on what we were doing. Didn't have a mark on it. But, mm. um, yeah, they, 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 they could get um, I'm sure. quite interesting to drive. But, yeah, fantastic. I don't, I don't think the NSX was, was like that, actually. I think there's another reason for, for that to be number one. But, mm. anyway, yes, we should probably move on. There we go. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We should move on. So that's Japan. And uh, I mean, I want to come to the more obvious countries towards the end of the episode. So let's do a couple of less obvious ones or the ones yeah. that don't have so many candidates. And it's funny, isn't it? The one that really leaps to mind is the United States. Yes. Long, long history of producing great performance cars. Not that many with the engine in the middle. Very few. Very It's not few. what they do, is it really? No. Pontiac Fiero just come to me. I mean, there have been, yeah, I don't think, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's going to get, I don't think that's going to get too close to this. Uh, someone's going to come on here and tell me that Pontiac Fiero is not mid-engine. Um, I think it is. Anyway. Um, so what are you thinking? Well, it's only in the last couple of years that Corvette qualifies with the C8, the latest one. The engine's in the middle now. Um, you've yeah. driven at least one. I've only driven you? one. I've only driven one, the, mm. um, the Z06 with the Z07 upgrade. Bloody hell. Mm. That is something. That is one really? proper weapon. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was... Sometimes you sort of... And this probably says something about me. You got, you, you know, you're going to go and drive a car, and you think, "Oh, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be fun." And but you don't think about it that seriously. Maybe you don't think about the numbers. Uh, and there's there's something slightly patronising going on because I'm thinking in my head, "Well, it's a vet. It's that you know, this isn't going to blow my mind because you know mm. they don't." But it did. Mm. I mean, fully Z07 up. Um, it was actually it was too much for the public road. I mean, it it just you know it it just screamed. I mean, this is kind of like a. It's almost like their answer. To the, in fact, probably is their answer to the GT3 RS. It's that level of focus, wow. um, where you just drive. You, you just drive it. And you just think, well, cool. But I just wish I was on the sort of Silverstone Grand Prix circuit, not some Welsh mountain road. Um, but what, unbelievably credible. Yeah, I mean, you you know, if, if, if that car doesn't sell, uh, it's because well, in Europe, it's because people are snobby about the badge. It's got nothing mm. about. It says nothing about the car's ability because. It was mega. It was Presumably, it's, it's it, yeah. It must be good value for money, even once it's over here and yeah, yeah. It is. I can't remember what it costs, but yeah, compared to what you spend on a, on a McLaren or a Ferrari, Ferrari, um, yeah, or you know, yeah. I, I suspect even a GT3 RS. Um, yeah, mm. great value for money. Um, so, odd looking thing. Odd looking thing. Yeah, uh, well, I honestly, remember, I think it's a dog, dog's dinner. It's a mess. Yeah, I think it's I a mess. Remember, I can remember seeing one in. I think probably the first one I saw. Um, was in America somewhere, um, just parked the side of the street. Um, I just couldn't believe how bad it looked. Mm, it's just so, so messy. Well, it's like every bit of it was designed by one person without reference to any of the other people who designed the rest of the car. And mm. so many fins and slats and straights and spats and, 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 and just stuff on it. And it's, it, it just looks a mess, doesn't it? And then um, when you add the, what was it, the Z07 package or whatever it is that adds all the aero bits, it's even worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, don't for a moment think that in any way disqualifies that car from mm. this conversation because yeah. you know, this isn't a, a beauty pageant. This is about the best driving with engine cars, and I think it's right up there. But it wouldn't get my vote even among the Americans. Because... Well, okay, so what else? What else is there? There's not a lot. I can only think of two generations of Ford GT. Yeah, so the first generation of Ford GT that mm. was brilliant. Second generation car. Impressive, um, you know, proper homologation special. Uh, yeah. Liked it for that, but V six twin turbo—that's the one we're talking about, isn't it? Paddle yeah, shift, exactly. Yeah, but I wouldn't have that over, you know, a far cheaper, quicker, more entertaining, easier McLaren seven twenty S or a or mm. a four eight eight or an F eight or or a Pista or or, or any equivalent um, mm. Ferrari or McLaren. But the first generation one, well, my goodness. That was I've never been anywhere near one. Brilliant. I think one of the we we still titter about this to this day. Twenty years it must have been twenty years ago, a very young Jethro Boddington 
and I headed off down Highway 1 in Los Angeles in one of those with a 360 Modena, um, which I can't remember where we got that from. It might even have been a Ford. It might have been one of those cars that Ford had had for benchmarking purposes, and maybe we nicked it from them. I can't remember where we did, but anyway, we, we got up. It was a Sunday morning. We got up at daybreak and basically had the West Coast to ourselves and just spent a few hours driving like, well, the way that you can or certainly could back then. Mm. Uh, and the Ford absolutely wiped the floor with the Ferrari. Wow. Absolutely. I can think the only thing I can think of now, which it didn't do as well, it didn't sound as nice because they were quite disappointed. You think, you know, mm. supercharged um, V8, it's going to sound mm. absolutely unbelievable. And it just didn't. It just sounded mm. a bit bleh. But other than that, I mean, it drove away from the Ferrari. It was far easier to drive than the Ferrari. It was it was a nicer place to be. It was better. I mean, just in every area, this upstart Ford of a kind that mm. they haven't made for decades. Are we going to allow the original GT40 into this? I mean, well, the road car version was utter rubbish. So the Mark well, III GT40 of the 1960s. Um, so that was that was a terrible car. Uh, and mm. although the race cars were technically road legal. I, I think they're not part of this conversation myself. Um, so Ford sure. really Agreed. had no prior in uh, in designing this car. And straight out the box, they produced something which was streets ahead of you know the best Ferrari could do in that category at the time. Well, that has to be it then, doesn't it? It looks oh, fantastic, it that, yeah, that yeah. Ford GT. Um, yeah. Cool cabin. Yeah, so there we go. Ford GT is the best uh, mid-engine car from the United States. Crystal clear. Okay, so we're going back across the Atlantic. We're in France now. Um, France? Yeah, I've got... I mean, it's obvious for me. It's obvious for me. T16 205? (laughs) No, I mean, good shout, but no. Okay, are are we allowed those? (laughs) Well, you can nominate if you want. No, no, neither have I, so... It would be yeah, a, so, a leap for us so, to declare so, so it the best. I, 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 I can see the inevitability of the phrase Alpine A110 heading in the direction of this conversation. There it is. There it is. <laughs> but, okay, <laughs> let's park that for a moment, because what else is there? Renault Sport Spider. I mean, it wasn't brilliant, was it? No, no it wasn't very good at all. Um, I have a very, very soft spot for an A610. Yeah. Do you remember there were, there were those three original sort of Alpines. There was the original a110 which also i have an incredibly soft spot for um the a310 which i don't at all only drove one didn't like it at all but the a610 was a great car um Mm. with that sort of twin turbo v6 amazing looks great to drive you know there's a bit of me which would really like one of those um i thought really yeah i thought it was i think i think if you drove one Along with, I'm just trying to think what 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 contemporary 911 would it would it be a 964 or a 993? Ooh, don't know. Don't know. I think it would have been a 993, maybe. You'd be amazed at how close it got. Mm. Um, oh well. And it was killed by, by by snobbery. People just didn't want to spend. Oh, the MVS Venturi. Do you even know what I'm talking about? Oh my god. No. Does it ring a bell? Venturi. Yeah. Maybe so I think it's something was else. A, there was a French manufacturer around that time, which you know, which produced a mid-engine car called the Venture, which was good. It was, I mean, it wasn't great, but it was good. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, but so, yeah. what else is there then? Oh, T sixteen, not much. Well, not I, much. What about Venturi Atlantique? Do you remember that? No. 1999. No. Very pretty thing. I mean, they must have built about four. Well, if they did, I would drive one. No. Oh, I mean, it looks no. gorgeous. Oh, 1991. So through the 90s, it was in production. Don't know. Yeah, anyway, so are we talking about the same thing? What did you say? MVS Venturi. MVS Venturi. MVS Venturi. I mean, it's possible, of course, that I'm having a... Oh, it's the same massively... thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. It is the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I might be having a massively senior moment. Um, <laughs> surprisingly good. Um, yeah, That's I mean, great. very credible car. Yeah, no, it is. It's a great looking car, and it, and it really wasn't bad to drive at all. Um, I think we did a... <laughs> Glowing. I think, we did a triple, I think we did a triple test with that and the A610, 
and whatever 911 it would have been. So maybe it was a 964. Um, and I think it probably did come third, but it was it it, it wasn't one of those what on earth is this car yeah. doing here kind of tests, which sometimes you do. Yeah. Um, it was good. But oh, come on, it's it's the modern A110, isn't it? Oh, for the purposes of this, yeah, yeah. yeah I just want to string you along a bit. Um, <laughs> well, let's yeah, not no dwell on it because <laughs> what a, what yeah. about what about? Okay, I was really looking forward to seeing your face here. I think I would do this on video. The Rene Bonnet de Jet. Yeah, Jet. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people call that the first mid-engine car, don't they? Exactly. Road car. Yeah. Yeah. Have you I've driven, one? driven one? Has anyone driven no. one? No. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, anybody listening to this podcast, have you driven one? You, will you, can we sort of turn things yeah. around? You tell us what it was like to drive for once. Um, I'm, I'm not yes. a driver, but I'm, I must have seen one in some museum somewhere. Um, mm. but, I mean, I mean... The first mid I mean, everybody goes, oh, yeah, Lamborghini Mira, first mid-engine road car. wasn't. I think mm. the, the, the Tommaso Mangusta beat the Mira as well. It's like all yeah. these things, isn't it? Whatever car, yeah. and I would say almost without exception, is generally credited with being the first to do something. Almost without exception, it isn't. Mm. Um, and mm. certainly the Mira was not the first mid-engine road car, but I've never driven a Rene Bonnet jet. So <laughs> I can't any further. It's the A110. Okay, good. That, let's not dwell on that. So we're, we're going to move across the board now, and we're, we're getting serious now, right? We're in cool. Germany. This is where we've got a good number of candidates to discuss. Um, let's be not honest, as most many of them as you Porsche. think, though. I, no, I, not I, as I, many as you think. Hazards. No, not as many as you might think. Most of them have a Porsche badge on the, on the nose, um, yeah. but there are a couple of others. Um, so let's do the less obvious ones. I mean, Audi R8, particularly the original, has to be in, in, yeah. the, in contention. Oh, I think, I think so the original, original manual R8 is, is you know, uh, original manual V8 R8. Um, I, I think mm. it's, going to, it's going to be right up there, yeah. Imagine imagine having one of those for a couple of months and getting rid of it. <laughs> Who'd do that? <laughs> Who'd do that? <laughs> Sorry, that's the, we mustn't do injects on this. We no. really mustn't. We, we do know someone who, who had a, a beautiful, lovely <laughs> manual uh, V8 R8 and uh, doesn't anymore. Anyway, but they're fantastic to drive, aren't they? The engines yeah. are really sweet. They steer, they ride, they're balanced. The gear yeah, shift is wonderful. They look cool. Yeah. Oh, Brilliant. I'd love one. Yeah, yeah. I'd love one. Um, okay. Okay, from R8 to I8, though, BMW. I mean, we know you love the BMW I8. I do. Um, but does it really qualify in this competition? Is it, well, I mean, it, is it well, a yes, truly can... great driver's car? Uh, yes, not what you said. Oh, sorry, that's not mm, what you said. You said okay. great mid-engine car. Okay. Is it a great okay. car? Is it mid-engine? Yes and yes. Okay, fine. I mean, okay, if there was a, um, I don't know, you would make a mid-engine limousine, but I mean, it, I, I okay, think it, absolutely qualifies. Yeah. It, it, it qualifies because it's, it, I reckon, I reckon it's going to be the only car that we talk about today that's got um, rear seats. I can't, I don't yeah. imagine we would talk yeah. about the Ferrari 308 GT4 very much. Um, yeah. And I think it is a genius piece of engineering so far ahead of its time. I mean, I think like, like the i3, I think the only crime the i3 and the i ever committed was to be 10 years ahead of their time. And I think if they launched a car like that now with modern technology, given the way the world is going, everybody is suddenly realizing um, that, you know, what you need um, at the moment before EVs are... Uh, you know, fully established and infrastructure up is you is you need a car with that sort of powertrain, um, where you mm. have a blend of hybrid and electrical power. But what BMW also managed to do was to make it sound great, was to keep it light, put it in a practical package, make it utterly gorgeous. Not great, but really, really good to drive. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a landmark car, and I think it's you know it is such a shame. They're cheap now as well. I say cheap. Mm, they're getting there, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, forty grand, it, you'll get a very nice one for forty thousand pounds. I can't see mm. that if you bought an i eight forty because you don't hear stories about them. You don't hear people. You know, it's not like you know E sixty M fives. You know, no. you know, you you never hear. Oh yeah, we you know, don't go anywhere near the i eight because this happens. The wheels fall off or the engine blows. You mm. just don't hear stories about them. Um, and I think I, that I do spend, wonder about the the battery in particular in the hybrid system. Yeah. Might that be problematic Maybe. ten years down the road? Could be. I don't know. Might be. Mm. Don't know. Anyway, yeah, great car. Uh, what else? Okay. So there are several Porsches, aren't there? Um, oh, the sort goodness. of more ordinary ones. 
ordinary being a relative to well actually no but let's talk about like a a, a fairly basic Porsche Cayman S six cylinder one gorgeous cars I mean brilliant cars I mean cars that are so good you know Porsche had to kind of when those cars first came out um you know Porsche had to do things like not fit limited slip differentials to them to make sure they weren't quicker than 911s um you know they were terrific things uh yeah i what can i say i mean a four liter cayman gts is you know one of the cars that i would really really love to um you know to have as my all day every day do everything kind of car um you know the only people who will never tell you that these cars are you know not quite a 911 or a poor man's 911 are people who've driven them people who own them they absolutely love them mm. Um, mm. they are so good to drive um Something like a Cayman R, I think, is just a fantastic mm. choice of car. I mean, GT4s are wonderful. Of course they are. Um, but you don't need to do that to, you know, to have a wonderful driving experience. I think, well, frankly, any six-cylinder any six cylinder Cayman um, is, is a terrific car. But let's talk about the big stuff. And we need to get through to a couple of fairly mighty countries. So let's get through Germany now, but we need to talk about the Porsche Carrera GT and I think the, the Porsche 918 Spider as well. Um, how clearly one succeeded the other. How, how do they compare? I mean, they're just so different. They're just, I mean, one is a, you know, is a, is, is, is a, is a stillborn racing car with an extraordinary um, V10 engine in it. The other is an amazing technological showpiece. I mean, incredibly impressive. Um, I'd have the Carrera GT. Um, I just, I mean, I drove one for the, as you know, for the first time really quite recently, about 20 years late to the party as ever. But, um, mm. <laughs> I, I would, I just loved it. I just love the tactility of it, the pureness of it. And I, I guess the difference is, is that I, I, while I massively admire a 918 Spider, I love a Carrera GT. Of the sort of the, the holy trinity that people used to talk about, the 918, the LaFerrari and the McLaren P1. Um, if I'd done that um, mm. triple test, I think it would be, it probably would have come third. So for me, it's a Carrera GT. Mm. Yeah, I've only driven a Carrera GT briefly, but it's just such an intoxicating thing. And that engine is unbelievable. Um, are we declaring the Carrera GT the greatest German mid-engine car? I guess so. I guess so. Um, what's a Bugatti? Is it French? <laughs> is it Italian? Is it German? Well, they've got to be count as French, haven't they? Well, Bugatti was an, was an Italian, but he built his cars in France, and the company's now owned by the Germans. But it's, come on, we've already got a winner from France. Um, so, okay, Carrera GT wins for Germany. We, we're moving across to Italy now, and I am 99.999 recurring percent sure I know what the winner is here. Um, do you? But, yes. Out of all, I don't. Oh, come on, yes, you do. I know. I, I, enlighten me. Surely you're going to say F40. Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I, have just, I have just had a senior moment, haven't I? Um, yeah, I am going to say F40. Well, of course I'm going to say F40 because it's the greatest car that's ever been built. Yes, it's the F40. Yeah. Okay. I, so, I, for some reason, I was thinking, I, I, I was suddenly in modern car mode and I was thinking about, I think because I talked about sort of F8s and 296s and the sort of yeah. Yes, of course it's the F40. Mm. Well, yeah, mm. the, 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 that's the end of that conversation. No, well, well, no, well no, let's not be completely flip about it. But yes, it is. It's the most, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still the greatest road car I've ever driven. But what else gets a look in then? F50? Is that in the conversation? I've never driven one. F50 is in, in the conversation. It's a wonderful car. Absolutely beautiful. So sweet. Um, amazing. And LaFerrari is in the conversation. There was a time briefly, once I first drove the LaFerrari, that I just thought, actually, I prefer this to an F40. I've mm. kind of rolled back a bit from, from that now, mm. but it's absolutely out there. Um, but also, you know, okay, so I think that there are some other Ferraris. I mean, 246, you know, their first mid-engine car, the Dino. Mm. Oh, God. I mean, okay, I have a particular personal connection to the 246 because my father owned one for about 10 minutes once. Um, and I think I kind of, it did a lot to sort of switch me onto cars. Um but I think a 246, because, again, unlike the, some of the later mid-engine Ferraris that came along, they're so sweet. They're so lovely. You can drive mm. them with such freedom because you're not scared of them. And I absolutely love those. Um, you know, otherwise, I mean, just, you know, I think a 488 GTB is a great car. I think a standard 458 mm. is a 
great car. I think something like a three. We, we were at Bisley yesterday, and a three sixty Talon Stradale mm. rumbled past, and I remember thinking when I drove, I only drove one of those once, but I did. I ran up to the north of England back in it, and I absolutely loved it. There been, so, I mean, what an embarrassment of riches just for the Ferraris, and we haven't even yeah. mentioned Lamborghini yet. Yeah, or um, Pagani's, and then there's some more obscure stuff as well, particularly from the... Well, the Maserati, you know, Maserati, Ma- Maserati Bora is a yeah. fantastic engine car, but, I mean, oh, let's, let's not be shy about this. They're not going to get, you know, um, on the scale, you know, they're, they're not going to challenge the um, the, F- the F40, or indeed no. the F50. Yeah, okay. that's the one. F40 it is then. Um, so we're coming home. Yeah. We're coming home. And again, I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be here. Hang on. We, we, we haven't done Sweden yet. <laughs> well, what do you want to nominate from Sweden? I've only done like I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, actually, do you know it's what? Very short conversation. Someone told me yesterday about your first and only acquaintance with a with a Koenigsegg, um, and they they said exactly that you didn't like it very much. Um, no, I didn't. But it, well, it was a long time ago. If anybody would, if, if if anybody would like to shoot me into a more modern Koenigsegg, I mean, it was it was I think it was one of the very first Koenigsegg, and it was just. I, I I happened to drive it on the same day I drove the only Pagani I've ever driven, and I thought the Pagani was wonderful, beautifully engineered, and a work of art. And I thought the Koenigsegg was just hmm. it, 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 it it was a really really frightening car, um, and I don't like being frightened by cars. God no. Um, okay, so we're coming home, UK. Um, what are we talking then? Neither of us has yet driven an Aston Martin Valkyrie, have we? We had one there yesterday, but we've not actually driven one, so. I think we need to scratch um, that one out. So many, so much choice. Mm. If you just look at Lotus and McLarens, I mean, you know, there's an yep. entire podcast there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Um, so much choice. Um, you know, I, th- I think the most benign in terms of what you could do with it, uh, Millennium Car I've ever driven, it, it's, it's nowhere near this conversation. But just to point out um, its existence, everybody will have forgotten about it. Uh, Panther Solo, <laughs> first four-wheel drive mid-engine car. Yes. Um, I can remember driving one of those Castle Coombe. I mean, it was a terrible car in many ways, but my goodness, I mean, it was almost unspinnable. It was extraordinary what you could do. You could just, you know, you, you just turn to a corner, lift off, wait until it was some ridiculous angle, then hit the gas again, and, all, and, and off you went. It was anyway, so. Um, oh, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Jaguar XJ220. I mean, it's not up there among the for, for me among the absolute green. You know, when you think it's up against you know all those McLarens from mm. you know the F1 to the present day, um, all those Lotuses. You know, mm. when you think it's up against you know Elises and um, yeah. Esprits, and I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, amazing statement car, um, staggering in certain ways. Um, but no, it's not up there. Jaguar XGR15. No, that's not going to get on with this either. Mm, okay. Um, what what are the what are the lotuses? I've got um only because I drove one last year. Uh Series One Elise. I mean that has to be in the conversation. Series one Elise really in the conversation. There has to be an Esprit in the conversation because uh, mm. and I guess you'd have a a GT three or a Sport three hundred or actually just an S four S. Um I mean, you know, flawed in many ways, but so, so good to drive. Mm. Um yeah, so I think I think it's I think it's probably between them. Um, what, what about the modern but, McLarens, though? Which is the one? If we can only nominate one of the modern McLarens, is it 675LT? It's 675LT or it's a 720S. Mm. <laughs> um, and we know someone who had one and now is the other. Um, I think for me, it's the 720S because it's you can just do it. I mean, this, this this old mantra of mine about, you know, the amount of fun you can have on a car is how enjoyable it is to drive multiply by the number by the number of times you feel inclined to use it. And and that to me is what the 720S just does so incredibly well. It is such a usable car and so absurdly ridiculously fast. Um mm. I seven fifty S I guess is a is is a bit more of the same, but um yeah, I mean I'd say seven twenty S, but I wouldn't argue too much with anybody who's what is a six six seven five LT. Yeah, I'd I'd go LT, um, but I I take your point. Yeah. But this is all just preamble, isn't it? We're because we're labouring towards an inevitable conclusion, surely. What an F one? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, certainly in terms of importance, 
um, legacy, mm. influence. Um, I mean, one of the most astonishing pieces of road car engineering there's, there's ever been. You know, I've said many, many times on this podcast elsewhere that no car in history expanded the envelope of road car performance more than that car did. So I guess so. Um, but again, not the easiest of cars. No. Um, you know, some people have got into a whole world of pain um, in F1s. But yeah, I think so. Uh, and I've also, I'd like to um, shout out for the P1 too, because I think in 2013, the P1, given that they'd never done any kind of hybrid at all, I think the P1 was an extraordinary piece of work. Mm. And I still think when you look at the P1 today, I still think, I, th- I think probably of all the McLarens, when you look at the P1, is the one which makes most makes you go, wow. I think mm. it still looks absolutely ridiculous and brilliant for yeah, it. It does. It does. Um, are we declaring the F1, though, the greatest British mid-engine car? Yeah. Yeah, I think we are. Okay, so there we go. Britain, McLaren F1, Japan, Honda NSXR, Germany, Porsche Carrera GT, Italy, Ferrari F40, US, Ford GT, the first one, France, Alpine A110, the modern one. Those are the best mid-engine cars from, traditionally, the big car-producing nations. There we go. And the best the winner is... Oh, no, we can't do that. Come on. That's it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, no, not, I'm not, not even going to ask. Let, let's not, not do that. Um, it's and, obviously and, the Alpine A110, isn't it? Of course. Have you, have, you, have you sort of paused for a moment to think of all the cars we haven't mentioned that we've forgotten, which people are going to contact and say, oh, yeah, but what about? And we're going to be thinking, oh, my God, how could we have forgotten that? Yeah, there'll be loads. There'll loads, be loads. Loads. So apologies in advance. Mm. There'll be entire countries that we've forgotten. Yeah, there will. <laughs> there will. Um, Okay, well, I do have a listener question, but I'm going to save it for next week um, because it's been a busy show. But uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And please remember to just hit the little follow button or the subscribe button wherever you're watching this. It really helps us. Um, And please come back for another episode of the Intercooler Podcast next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.